today we conclude our journey through the first eight chapters of Romans, chapters that change everything for believers. So far we have looked at four ancient words that come right out of the text, the word wrath, righteousness, justification, last weekend sin, and today the word life. Last weekend, we heard an insightful and very helpful message on sin from Romans 6 and 7, but I don't imagine that you counted the number of times that the word sin appeared in those two chapters. It was 35 times. And now we are in Romans chapter 8 where the word life appears 13 times. Life, new life in Jesus Christ is the antithesis of the sin problem that is outlined in Romans 6 and 7. Paul closes chapter 7 with his personal lament about his own human inability to control sin. In verses 19 and 24, I think we can probably all identify. He said, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a Wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now I wonder if here in his reference to this body of death that Paul was drawing on the ancient practice of strapping the dead body of the victim onto the back of the criminal who killed him. This punishment would cause a slow, hideous, and inescapable death for the condemned man and the worms from the dead body would begin to devour his own flesh. And the stench and the invasion of parasites and the decomposing tissue and the disease would take days, sometimes even weeks, to complete the process. It was literally a body-of-death sentence. And the Apostle Paul cries out for deliverance because he could not escape being bound to the tendencies and the weaknesses and the futility of his sinful flesh. But then he ends chapter 7 with an exclamatory and a joyous declaration that moves him and moves us all from death to life. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that moves us into chapter 8 of Romans, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And chapter 8 reveals this new life that God desires for every person on this planet. And we're going to camp out here today as we discover or rediscover this new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that's why He came in John chapter 10, verse 10. Here it is in two different translations and a paraphrase. These are the words of Jesus about His own mission on earth. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's the New International Version. We need to personalize it. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And then from the Living New Testament, my purpose, Jesus said, is to give life in all its fullness. And then I like the way the message puts it, I came so you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. So my question is, did Jesus accomplish His mission? Did He do what He came to do? Did He give us real life? 
eternal life, more life, better life than we can ever imagine, certainly than we could provide for ourselves. Paul affirms some distinctives about the new life of a believer. And as we look at these today, I want to encourage you to think about your own life. Has Jesus made a difference in you? Do the people in your circles of acquaintance, your circles of influence, do they see something in you that they want? Is there something compelling about your life? Is there something magnetic about your life? Can the people in your family, in your workplace, on your block, in your school, see that you as a Christian are living a superlative life, an exemplary life, a life that is second to none. It ought to be true. We need to hold Romans 8 up alongside ourselves today to measure how straight and tall we're standing in this new life that Jesus reveals. Let's go to God's Word and find out about it. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, verses 5 and 6, and then verse 11. This is where we'll live today. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have set their minds on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. So what do these words reveal about the life that He desires for us, this new life? What is unique about it? What is special about life? in Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, I would say our condition. Verse 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The words therefore and the word now in verse 1 signal a transition from the miserable sin condition described in the previous chapter 7. For those who've trusted in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. No Condemnation. Now, the word condemnation here describes a person who's been judged to be guilty of a crime and so is liable to pay the penalty for that crime. It describes both the verdict and the sentence. But those who've trusted in Jesus, there's no longer a guilty verdict. There's no longer a death sentence. The Christian has been completely forgiven, justified by God, forgiven by God, declared righteous by God, as we've been learning, as we've moved through Romans. Now, I want you to notice that Paul does not say here that there is no imperfection for those who are in Christ. He doesn't say that. He says there's no condemnation. You see, as believers, we're going to always need some tweaking. We are. We're always going to need some correction, but here... Though we may need correction, there is no condemnation. And this is the condition, not just for a few, it's for all who believe in Jesus and obey Him as Lord now, not someday. The Christ follower has everlasting life now and has already passed from death to life. That's that's exactly what Jesus said in John 
524, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense verb, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's what I'm talking about. That sounds a lot like Romans 8. And even though all of us started in the same condition, having sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, none of us righteous, not even one, the believer's condition has changed. We were lost, but God sent His Son to pay the price for our sin debt. Christ died for our sins in our place. The charges have been dropped. We have been acquitted. We have been declared innocent, and we have been released. We are free to go. It's been years ago now that I spent three days in the Wabash prison with several of our Crossroads guys in a Kairos outreach that was led by one of our elders, Phil, Dr. Phil Stiver. And some of that time during those four days, I spent around a table with six inmates. Two of those six were murderers serving a life sentence. I remember my conversation with one of them when he testified, I never thought I would ever need God. Now he's in prison in his twenties, convicted of the murder of his former girlfriend. His deed left three children without their mother, a mother and father without their daughter, and him with a lifetime of guilt and regret behind bars. And when he woke up in prison for the first time in his life, he found himself crying out to God for mercy. And he repented, and he confessed his faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of his life. He was baptized into Christ. And I know some people have a hard time with jailhouse conversions. They think they're shallow and insincere, but I am telling you what Jesus said is true. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. And those who've been convicted of some horrible crime could have a greater appreciation for the change in their condition represented in the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we should all identify. You don't have to go to prison. You don't have to commit some horrible crime to appreciate it. We should all identify because we're all debtors to the grace of God. Now, grace is a foreign concept to all of the man-made religions of the world. Buddhists have the eightfold path to realize enlightenment based solely on the individual's performance. The Hindu, Hindu doctrine of karma has several phases which determine your destiny based on your accomplishments. The Muslim, Muslims have a code of law which must be strictly followed in order to enter into paradise. Christianity alone makes God the seeker, makes God's love and acceptance something which is offered to undeserving people without cost, without human effort. Indeed, it cannot be earned. It's a matter of surrender. It all comes as a gift of grace. And I like what Philip Yancey says about grace. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. 
The guilt and condemnation are gone, and a settled peace comes upon our hearts as we realize we don't have to do anything to gain God's acceptance. We already have it. And this is the condition of our new life in Jesus Christ. Well, what else is affected? I would say also our character. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. One of my greatest joys as a pastor is to have a front row seat to observe the life-changing, life-reshaping power of the Holy Spirit. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is truly amazing in how it positively affects a person's character. Believers are no longer moral weaklings, and they no longer are under the control of sin and Satan. They've got a new strength. They've got a new master. And their character is changed from powerless to powerful. And the idols of this world are toppled, and the yoke of the flesh is broken, and the devil's stronghold in their life is demolished. When people come to faith in Christ and obedience to Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, delivers them from sin's controlling influence. As a young man, I have a vivid memory of a testimony by a man named Howard Ball, a successful businessman, multimillionaire, Christian philanthropist. He spoke at Explo 73 in Dallas, Texas, and here are his words. I wrote them down. He said, before I became a Christian, I did whatever I wanted to do. I spent money freely, freely and foolishly. I drank excessively. I used tobacco. I abused prescription drugs. I gambled. I flirted. I neglected my family as much as I wanted to. Since I've become a Christian, I want you to know that I can still spend money wildly and irresponsibly, drink too much, smoke, use drugs, play poker, lust, and spend too much time away from home as much as I want to. He had our attention. Then he added, but the difference is, since Jesus became my Savior and the Lord of my life, I don't want to anymore. And by the grace of God, Howard Ball became a man of strong Christian character. Many of you know uh, our own Angelo Freire in this church. He and his wife Carrie and their family moved to Evansville in 2008. I just had lunch with Angelo this past Wednesday. And he reminded me about the change in his own character. Since dear Rita Byers invited him a half a dozen times to visit Crossroads, and he finally did, I asked I ask Ange if I could share with you how his life priorities have been shifted. Take a look. On the left, you have his priorities, his life priorities when he came in 2008 to Evansville. Number one, job. Two, money. Three, firm. Four, family, friends, community, church, God. Then on the right, you have what happened after he committed his life to Jesus, was baptized into Christ, his priorities completely inverted. On the right, you have his present list. God, family, church, friends, community, firm, money, 
job. Now, today he's living on much less than the 200000 a year he was making previously. But he's happier than ever in a downsized home with no mortgage and involved in a half a dozen ministries in the life of our church, missions, evangelism, young adults, our welcome ministry. He and Carrie lead a small group in their home. He used to live for number one. Now he lives to minister to others in the name of Jesus, his new number one. I loved his testimony. He said, I learned that all the money, the trips, and the job titles wasn't enough to make me happy. I almost lost my wife and family. I came to Crossroads, was reborn in adult baptism, and realigned my priorities, which saved my marriage, family, and focused me on kingdom-building activities instead of selfish wants. Angelo Ferrari is a model of Christian character, Christian manhood today. But the life of the Apostle Paul has got to be Exhibit A. It's got to be the most dramatic example of transformed character. He was once a terrorist, folks. He was. He was engaged in the imprisonment of families, the execution of innocent people. He was heartless and merciless, and he would have fit right in with the kind of zeal we saw last week in the group that attacked the mall in Nairobi, Kenya. He was as irrational and as brutal as any zealot, and he relished his assignment of eradicating the infant church from the earth. Until that fateful day on the Damascus Road when, in an instant, his eyes were closed in blindness and opened to the light of the world, he met the risen Lord Jesus face to face, reflecting on his own character, the apostle Paul wrote in another passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he said, here's what he said, for I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Can you say that today about yourself? His grace to me was not without effect. I can certainly say that. I'll tell you, whatever character there is in me today is by His grace. Can you say His grace, His grace to me has changed my character? I don't think the way I used to. I don't talk the way I used to. I don't act or react the way I used to. I don't look the same. My habits are different. My heart is different. Can you say that? Well, our condition, our character... What else is affected by this new life in Jesus Christ? What else does this new life look like? Well, we'd have to say something about our concentration, verses 5 and 6. Those who live according to the sinful nature, here it is, have their mindset on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Your mind is your outlook on things. It's your assumptions, it's your values, your desires. We often talk about a mindset, meaning something on which you set your mind. So when we say, I have a mind to... well, that indicates determination and purpose. Or we might say, 
I've made up my mind. That indicates a choice. That indicates a decision. All behavior originates in the mind. What we think about, that's what we'll become, given enough time. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. And heart is a metaphor for the mind in Proverbs again and again. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Obviously, we don't think in our hearts. We think with our minds. The mind and the heart are fused. So as water reflects a face, so a man's mind reflects the man. Your mind governs, it determines how you act, the course you take in life. And did you notice what Paul said about our minds? He describes the two ways that our minds can go. One is we can have our minds set on the sinful, what the sinful nature desires. That's, that's one place we can go with our thoughts. The other is we can have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, let's get practical here for a moment. We've said our mindset determines how we live, so our only way to influence the direction of our lives is to control what we think about, which means we've got to be thoughtful about what we consume mentally, through our eyes, through our ears. That's how things get into our brains. So back to our two options. Here they are, minds set on what the sinful nature desires, minds set on what the Spirit desires. Let me give you some mind influencers, and you talk back to me, and you tell me the column in which it belongs. Does it belong, number one, uh, mindset on what the sinful nature desires, or number two, mindset on what the Spirit desires? So here I'm going to give you some mindset influencers. You give me a number, just shout out the number one or two. Let's do an easy one. We'll start with the movie. The Last Temptation of Christ portrays Jesus as carnal and merely human. One. Okay, what about, getting a little closer to home now, <laughs> what about the television show Scandal? It's, it's a serial about a clandestine sexual affair between the married president of the United States and an aide. Give me a number, one or two. One. Ooh, this one's going to hurt. Breaking Bad, about a high school teacher who deals meth and murder with the help of a former student. One or two. Cosmopolitan Magazine for Women, one or two. Maxim Magazine for Men, one or two. MTV, Spike TV, VH1, one or two. What about Duck Dynasty, faith-based family show? I'm getting real. Brian Seitz, new worship CD. Can I hear a number? Two. Patrick Sermon from last weekend online. Two. Caleb. Two. The movie, The Ultimate Gift or The Ultimate Life. Two. Folks, it's not hard. This is not rocket science to get the mindset influencers into the right column. It's not hard. It is not hard. I'll tell you what's hard is to discipline yourself to make the choices thoughtfully, Christianly, about what gets into your mind. Is it what the Spirit desires or is it what, what the sinful nature desires? 
Remember these words in our text, that the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Let me give you four quick suggestions to help you in this area. Number one, recognize that every day you are engaged in a spiritual war for your mind every day. Galatians 5.17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Every day you're like a walking civil war about what you're going to think about, what you're going to give your mind to. Secondly, capture each thought and analyze it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul said, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, there's a verse that you can spend the rest of your life living out, and you'll never fully, fully realize the significance of it. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Thirdly, fill your mind with good things. You knew I was going to say that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Fourth and last, talk tough to yourself. Talk tough to yourself. Get yourself in line. Tell yourself no. It's a great capacity to develop in every area of your life. Learn to talk tough to yourself. Run your life from the shoulder blades up, not the rib cage down. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Life in Jesus, concentrating on what the Spirit desires, will ensure peace of mind. Chapter 8, verse 6, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Well, finally, the life God wants us to experience is a life that affects our confidence. Look at verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Paul offers a promise here, a word of great encouragement. He summarizes the confidence that all Christ followers should have about the future. And it disappoints me that some believers live with doubts about their soul salvation. They live with doubts about their eternal destiny. Now, I know where that comes from. It comes, it comes from the evil one because Satan's fundamental strategy, fundamental strategy is to make lost people think they're saved and saved people think they're lost. But God's Word gives us assurance in so many places. In fact, the entire letter of 1 John is written so that Christians would know that they're saved. Take a look. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, those who decide to reject Jesus, those who decide to ignore Christ, they're betting. They're betting that the Bible... It's historical and geological and eyewitness evidence over 2,000 years of Christian history are lies. And that the grave is the end and there's nothing after this life. And the authority for their position is 
is their own wishful thinking, it's their own imagination, or the imagination of some other person who happens to have an advanced degree or has published a book or two. Otis McMillan took a course on Islam at Campbell University. It was taught by an imam, an imam is like a, a Muslim priest. McMillan studied the Quran, studied their religious system, studied their ceremonial prayers, submitted to the required activities. One day he asked the imam, will those who practice all these rituals get into paradise? The imam's answer was filled with doubt and uncertainty. He responded, we don't know. No one knows. Only Allah knows for sure. We can never be sure. Well, that sounds very different than Romans 8.16. The Spirit, capital S, Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as we close this morning in this moment, what is your spirit saying to you today about whether you're a child of God? What's your own voice of conscience saying to you about this most important decision in life? And what is the Spirit of God impressing on you about whether you are a child of God? This is the most critical assessment of your life. A new life in Christ awaits your decision to surrender. Claim Him as Savior. Submit to Him as Lord. And when you do, you experience this new life that changes your condition, it changes your character, it changes your concentration, and it changes your confidence. And we await your decision, anxious to talk to you and share with you about it this morning if you're prepared to respond to come as we stand and worship together.